This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Welcome, welcome, welcome to season three of the No Stroke Podcast. Three welcomes, and I'd like to say it is so good to be back for season three and have my esteemed co-host, Michael Garrow, with me. Uh, Michael, what's the crack? <laughs> uh, yeah, I miss it. I miss the crack. That's what I miss, man. We, we have some good times with doing this show. So, yeah, we were on a bit of a hiatus, um, getting back into the swing of things now, just like my workout routine, you know? Uh, I knew yep. that was going to be a topic of the conversation as well. So. I, yeah, let's just get that over with now because that's on my list. Hold on, because I can check right now. Oh, Mike. Nice job. Wait. For our listeners, he's looking at his Apple Watch. So Dave and I compete against each oh, other. Um, we're neck and neck today, Mike. Hey, I'm going out for a long walk after this. So You, you know what happened is you probably might have, a, might have a beer like after that or in between the walls but yeah it's fine you're you're back at it so you can have multiple it's a long weekend um and i apologize i muted your notification so i didn't know you were working out i hope you're not muting mine because you know i've been busy too so i mean it yeah i mean i get it you want to mute me so just so you don't feel bad when you see me completing workouts and, and you're, you know, <laughs> sitting on TV. Hey, but, but yeah, it no, it's, it's great to be back. It's great to be back. Um, you know, it, it's uh, like we explained on the last show, you know, we, we really want to, you know, do something right with this show. And, you know, I think we're off to a good start in the first three seasons, but you know, when, when we're thinking about kind of what's next, you know, we've had some great, some time to really sit back and think through that. Um, so, you know, we'll be inviting on in our next, I believe it's going to be our next episode, um, gentleman Dan Kendall, who runs the Healthcare Podcast Network. Um, we'll talk through it more and kind of what that means for us and some of the work that we're, we'll be doing. But I think it's an exciting next step for us. Um, and maybe also an in-person pod coming in the next couple of months as well here when uh, now that it's summertime, got to get a bit more free time right. to, to travel as well. So we have to make that happen. Uh, we we have to we can meet meet a meeting point halfway by somewhere near the coast near the, one of the beaches mm-hmm. and I've got a I've got a little uh, microbrewery halfway that I've already got picked out so we just have to there make it happen all right all so right. let's uh we have a great we finally have a great guest coming on because uh, these asynchronous last two episodes they're no fun they're, they're, we we get the in the news done but tell me what it's like recording by yourself yeah I mean you just yeah, it's too much talking yeah. to yourself. I mean, I don't, I don't know how these, you know, the guys on like sports radio or some that they could literally just talk to themselves for like three hours nonstop. Yeah. It's an art. It really is. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like doing yeah. it. But yeah, we, this is a better flow. You know, you and I, you know, being able to bounce off each other and then, you know, obviously bringing in a guest. It's it just, you know nobody wants to listen to us talk the whole time. you know like let's get the expert let's, let's get let's it going so let's so. uh let's keep in season three let's keep uh, with the in the news there's folks that have commented they like that feature of the podcast so we always set the stage in the news um in the news this week for me uh, if you don't mind do, do you want me to just jump in quick first and then yeah that's you know, that's me right. and first and quick I, I don't know if those three things are quick for me but i'm going to try to keep this to a minute i attended the um a webinar uh, this week that was a joint venture between the World Stroke Academy and the American Heart Association. And it was on guidelines for stroke rehab and recovery. And it was um, when the replay becomes available, I'm going to post it, maybe do a blog post, but put it up in the show notes as well. Um, it was um, it was really well done. Um, and the main thing that um, I took away from it was they're looking at creating something called the International Stroke Recovery and Rehab Alliance. And the reason they're doing that is because there's been a lot of momentum over the last couple of years. And we've talked about it on the podcast. Um, we've improved guidelines and got on the same page with, um, with prevention, 
and acute stroke treatment, but we haven't done too much and it's fragmented when it comes to re recovery and long-term recovery and management of, of best outcomes. So um, they want to create a go-to place essentially for um, researchers, but also there was a mix of uh, academics, but on the last, on that webinar, there were a lot of stroke patients and, you know, that really, and caregivers that really wanted to express their voice. So they were hopeful that they were going to be invited into this membership. And the answer to that was yes. Um, I've applied and it's right now, it's currently free. And the goal is to make it active and, 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 and build working groups. So, you know, hopefully we can um, um, talk more about that as I learn more and maybe we can get more involved in that. So that was, that was a big, you know, big, Big, um, I thought a big positive in the stroke, uh, in the stroke news for me this week. So, how about yourself, Mike? Cool. Thanks for shouting that out. Um, yeah, and hopefully we could get you know some more involvement later in the summer. Um, for me, uh, last weekend, uh, Meg and I we went to an event here in New York City that was ran by um, our our previous guest uh, Kyle Mellencamp. So. It was his brain bar that he, he titles this, uh, and it's really just like an intimate gathering of brain injury survivors, and then he brings kind of makes a theme for the evening and then brings in experts to kind of talk through. So um, really cool group of folks, um, a super nice venue in uh, Soho. Um, it was meant to be, I think, at a, some terrace in Brooklyn, but it was kind of weather impeding last weekend. So he uh, linked up with this woman who ran, who runs a pop-up mental health bar and beautifully set up, like has lots of a grant money in it. So it was a, it was a cool, like intimate place to go. Um, and there's probably 30, 40 folks, or yeah, I would say close to 40 um, wow. participants there. Um, you know, all kind of a range of ages, range of different uh, you know, conditions. So, you know, primarily a lot of stroke survivors, but there were some other people in there with, with different types of uh, acquired brain injuries and, you know, had a bit of time to kind of mingle at the, at the start and then went to a couple of interesting uh, conversations through the keynotes. So the first was a exercise done by this Spanish researcher, um, and she's been kind of highlighted through uh, Jill Bolte-Taylor. Um, and her work, and it's all around like the arts and rehab. Um, so did a cool exercise with her um, and then moved into uh, who actually sponsored the event, uh, Modus Nova, uh, which is a, a rehab device. And I think we're going to have one of their one of their co-founders on later later this season as well, just to talk through their device and kind of how they're building their their, their therapeutic Um and then it was capped off by a neurologist who spoke to kind of the gamification and community building within um, the rehab space. So trying to make rehab fun and getting the reps up. So it was, it, again, really interesting kind of lineup of speakers and great to see Kyle, you know, be able to pull this off. I know he's been doing it for a number of years, but I, I'm just happy I was able to get to one. Um, and, and it was also nice. I think, you know, this is the first time Megan really got to be in a room with other folks like her mom. You know, and for her, I think it was, a, you know, an evening where, you know, you got to see like, hey, there's a lot of other people out here, just like my mom in different, different parts. You know, everyone kind of has their own thing going on, but it's nice to kind of see yeah. you know, other folks in that position. So, yeah, it, it was, um, yeah, nice evening overall. Um, and I believe he's going to put a recording up. He did it live, but we'll try to okay. grab the recording of it and, and put it in the show notes for people. That'd be great. Hey, thanks for sharing that. And uh, I have to ask, um, did you make any arrangements to get some uh, hoop date in with Kyle? There was yeah, kind of some yeah, back and forth actually, on his episode. Yeah. I think, yeah, we'll have a, we'll have an epic battle of pig um, okay. in the next next couple of weeks. We're planning actually to go down. There's a park in uh, East Village that okay. Kevin Durant, he like funded and built it all up. Uh, I played there last last weekend, uh, last Sunday, actually, before I went. So him and I were talking. All right. Am I going to get the invite? You saw my basketball in that last night. I sent you the photo. I'll hold down the basketball for us. You could, if we ever get a hockey guy to come on, I'll let yeah, you challenge that, him in a hockey. That would sure. be, that would be for the better. You know, I'm trying, you know, I think uh, Celtics game three, 
my son and I are not big basketball fans, admittedly, but I know I text you. I said, what's going on? I don't understand the big, the big windows with the scores. Some day, some, sometimes, yeah. you know, for me as a playoff hockey game, that, that 20, you know, when I text you it was a 20 point spread, that would be like a, a, a 15 to one playoff hockey game. And like, how mm-hmm. would you get in? Yeah. So I, I'm uh, trying to not, learn it. I'd say it'd be more of like a, a, f- four to one hockey game, like a 20 yeah. point swing is actually, oh, wow. it's, it, it, they, they happen often. Okay. Yeah. More often than you'd think. Cause yeah. of the, cause of the three, I'm starting to learn yeah. that the three, yeah, the big, pace of the game, yeah. the pace of the game, the three point shot for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, the All talent right. is just crazy, but yeah, well, it's, it's, it hasn't been a, the play, the series most people thought, but um, okay. so yeah, let's see. I, th- I think the Celtics will be in it. They have game six tonight to, tonight, to try yeah. to make the final. So, but yeah. that's a long way of telling telling the folks that I'm not invited on the courts in New York. You've, yeah, okay, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, okay, all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> with that said, you want to you want to you want to get right to introing our guests that you were bringing on. Uh, you want to do those honors? Sure. Yeah, I was just trying to wait for the sirens to pass yeah. here. Um, that's, but, yeah. Hey, that's Mike. That's part of the city crack, and that's part of the crack in New York City. I when know. you that's when you going to explain that term for me? The crack, the crack. It doesn't need to be explained. Right? You well, just you either know it or you don't. But. Well, <laughs> I was trying to impress you with the crack because I, <laughs> I, know, I, I, I was I was blown away. Yeah, we'll we'll jump into it. I think we have a. Uh, I'm I'm working on getting an Irish guest on here. Okay. All right. So, you know, we'll, we'll dive into what the crack is once we get the Irish. Guests. Perfect. OK, so there's nothing right. illegal for anyone listening. It's Mike moved to New York. It's it's all good. But it's just a term I learned on the Digital Therapeutics podcast and with those oh, with those okay. Irish roots. So okay. I feel like I'm kind of like, you know, I'm hip now. But yeah. All right. You are hip. You are hip. Um, all right. So, yeah, let's jump into it. So this week we are speaking to um Jordan Sims Pierce. She is the vice president and clinical operations development lead at Constant Health Therapy. Um, So Constant Therapy is a digital therapeutic and speech and language um, therapy space. Um, They've been around since about, oh, what did she say? 2013, 14? 2013, 2014. Yeah. It's going to spun out of BU, but, you know, Jill, um, Jordan will will walk us through kind of their origin story and how Jordan got involved. Uh, But, you know, for us, it was our first aphasia focused um, episode. So, you know, I think we're going to be trying to do a couple more of these. Um, You know, it's an area that is often a, a, you know, big point of interest, you know, for, for many stroke survivors. So I know we, we talk a lot about movement and exercise and, and different types of therapy, but um, yeah, we're excited for this chat. I think it was a great way to kind of lead into, to a, a couple episodes on this uh, topic. For sure. And, you know, Jordan is, is a tech geek like us. So, you know, she, <laughs> she has her hands in a few different pies. So she's also the founder and director of Pierce Speech Language Therapy Center um, out in the Berkshires of, of Western Mass. So, yeah, interesting chat, and um, we'll we'll be back soon for another episode. But until then, enjoy this one, and stay warm, stay stay cool, folks, because it's a hot one here in New York today. Yeah, and enjoy the long weekend with an episode of the podcast. Right, long weekend coming up. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's bring her in. Hi, Jordan. Welcome to the No Stroke Podcast. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It is a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So. We are sitting down. Jordan Jordan promised us when we were setting this up that she'd give us a nice uh, Berkshire's backdrop of her of her what's now office out in Lenox, Mass. But why don't you, for the listeners, why don't you kind of give us a, a bit of a taste of you know where you are right now, um, and you know what what's gotten you to where you are today with constant therapy and some of the work that you're doing. You bet. So I'm here in Lenox. It's in the Berkshires. There's some very nice trees in the background here for you. Um, and actually, this is my private practice office. I'm a, a private practice speech and language pathologist and also assistive technology specialist. Um, and I work patients across the lifespan. And in addition to that, I'm the vice president of clinical operations and development for Constant Therapy, which is a um, app company. Uh, we have a program that works on speech, language, and cognitive therapy tasks, um, and that's available across platforms. And I'm excited to chat with you guys about it in, in more detail. 
Great. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's an interesting background you have. And when when I was looking at your your experience, like it sounded that like you started as a element uh, is a secondary English teacher. So you're a teacher prior to making the leap into speech and language therapy. Is that correct? That is correct. So I actually majored in creative writing as an undergrad um, and was trying to figure out how to apply that to the real world. And teaching seemed like a great fit. So I taught uh, eighth grade English for two years with Teach for America down in Washington, D.C. Um, and after that, I then went back to graduate school for speech pathology. Um, and it's all history from there. So I went to Boston University, um, graduated from there and worked in a private practice for a while. And then I've worked at, you know, outpatient clinics, inpatient acute settings, uh, and now in private practice again. Very nice. Very nice. So now on No Stroke Podcast, obviously we have a, a focus within the stroke community, but, you know, for for us, we know aphasia is impacted across the spectrum, right? You know, just have to have a stroke to have this happen to you. So for our listeners, and this is the first episode, we're really taking a dive into aphasia. So it might be good to kind of start and just lay a, a foundation of the science. You know, what is happening when someone has it, this ha- the impact of aphasia? Absolutely. Great place to start. So, you know, when I think of the brain, it's, it's really a fascinating part of the body that we don't fully understand yet as a scientific community, and we're constantly learning more. Um, but basically, you know, when you think of the brain, each part of your brain is responsible for a different task. And in the case of aphasia, it means that that specific part of the brain that's responsible for language has been impacted in some way. So that could be from a stroke. It could be from a traumatic brain injury. Um, there are other types of aphasia as well. There's primary progressive aphasia, which is um, more akin to a form of dementia um, that is um, that is progressive. Um, it, so it will, you know, increase over time in its severity, whereas more acquired aphasia um, it has to do with stroke and traumatic brain injury. Um, and, and that that we often see really great improvement from. And part of the reason for that is neuroplasticity. So if the part of the brain that's damaged um, by that stroke or that traumatic brain injury was responsible for language, then you might see that impact of aphasia. And really it's, it's loss of language. Um, one of the slogans of aphasia is loss of language, not intellect. So it's really that, you know, specifically those language hubs of your brain have been impacted. So that might impact the way that you're able to find the word you want. It might impact the way that you're able to read, write, um, understand what someone's saying to you. Um, and the really incredible thing though, is because of neuroplasticity, the brain is able to change and it can't, you know, completely heal or recover those damaged areas, but it can actually build new networks and new connections to work around those areas. So we've seen from the research, and this was actually part of my graduate research at BU, um, that, you know, if you give a patient with aphasia, a semantic, like, um, word-based reasoning task, and you have an MRI scan, um, of that patient's brain, you're able to see how that patient, um, you know, is working around it and other pieces of that patient's brain are actually active that normally wouldn't be responsible for language, but they're taking over and helping out that part of the brain that's been damaged. Um, so the, the brain's an incredible organ and, you know, with the right therapy and the right opportunity, patients really can continue to make gains for, for many years after a stroke. There's that awful myth out there that you only have one year. And that's just not true. We've seen that over and over again in the research. I have patients who are 15, 20 years post-stroke who are still making amazing gains. And we're I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you didn't say the word because yeah, Dave and I don't like saying that. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, <laughs> we're at oh. the beginning of our third season of the No Stroke Podcast, Jordan. And and we uh <laughs> we have a problem with that word as well. So <laughs> I'm glad. And, and I just have to, uh, that was a really great uh, um, uh, description um, for our listeners. Of, and there was a term that you mentioned, uh, primary progressive aphasia. And I, I wasn't familiar with that term until on, until recently in the news, um, Bruce Willis, right? Is yes. that uh, what, what the diagnosis in his case, correct? That is, yep. Yeah, it sounds like, I don't know that anyone's used that specific term that I've read, but it sounds like that may be the case. Okay. Um, yeah. Can you, you mentioned BU, is that, can tell us a little bit about your connection and how you're, you're in your, your office and we'll get to your private practice after, um, since you mentioned BU, 
Um, is that where some of your work or your um, connections with, with constant therapy started? Yep, absolutely. So I came from the BU aphasia lab, so did constant therapy. <laughs> um, and so constant therapy actually was created by a group of incredible um, technology experts, um, including, you know, there were four co-founders, um, Vera, Mahendra, Asan, and then Dr. Swathi Kiran, who's the head of the BU aphasia lab. And that's kind of where constant therapy came from is that, you know, this group of great tech minds came together with great scientific minds and said, how can we, you know, we're, we're watching you guys in the clinic, you're doing a lot of things with paper, like there has to be a more efficient way to do this, um, rather than, you know, you guys having to pull out all the pictures and flip through your, your notebooks and your, your, your paper, there, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so they came up with creating a program on an iPad. And, you know, they, they worked through that, they said, Oh, there's going to be too many files on this iPad, it's going to clog up the whole iPad. Let's bring in some cloud computing to this too, because that was what a lot of their backgrounds was in as well. Um, and so from there, you know, it's funny, they, they put the app up on the app store so that the BU lab could download it. And then they had random people contacting them saying, hey, how do I get a login? And so I think at that point they said, oh gosh, okay, th this really is a need. Let's let's do this for real. Let's create a company and, and go for it. And that was eight years ago. And now we have you know, almost we're getting close and closer and closer to a million users who have worked with constant therapy over the years. So it's, it's been great to see the app grow and the, the company grow over time. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating kind of origin story and cool that you were there from the beginning. So I don't, I wasn't there quite at day one. I was like about well, a year later. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were the, you're the guinea pig to say it when they're looking at again, your workflow and saying, all right, how could this be more efficient? Like, how could would they help you? So, yeah. and now you're there and, you know, we'll get, we'll get to your role and exactly what you're doing with them. Um, but before that, like, can you talk us through, like when, when uh, these folks were obviously reaching out, right, there's a need out there for more access to therapy. And you mentioned kind of the neuroplasticity aspect of it. And we talk a lot about repetition within whether it's, you know, recovery from in physical, trying to get getting your steps in PT, OT, um, same applies for this, right? So when, when therapy happens, like, can you talk us through like what a normal therapy session looks like on this application? Yeah, you bet. So maybe I'll give you a little background of what kind of traditional speech therapy looks like. And then I'll yeah. tell you a little bit about what the, you know, how constant therapy can kind of amplify and augment that. So with typical speech therapy, often it's about once a week for about an hour. That's kind of generally the standard of care. Um, and where things get tricky though, and you know, I know we're probably going to come <laughs> talk about this at some point, but you know, in terms of barriers to getting that therapy, there are a lot of barriers out there, which is a very unfortunate because these patients we know can continue to benefit from therapy, but often they've either geographically, they just don't have access to a speech therapist. There's a huge, um, you know, backlog of patients who need therapy, but there just are not enough speech language pathologists out there to provide that therapy. Um, and especially in more rural areas. And, you know, the cost is a huge component too. If a patient doesn't have a steady job and they're relying on Medicaid or Medicare, often there's therapy caps, even with a more traditional commercial insurance plan, there's going to be therapy caps that you run into. And then what do you do? Right. So in, in a traditional speech therapy setting, you know, I would be there to work with the patient. We would problem solve, check in on how things are going. Um, and usually I actually end my sessions with working on making sure the patient has their home exercise program ready to go. Um, and for a lot of my patients, that program is constant therapy because I, as the clinician am able to see what that patient has actually done in the you know week or so since I've seen them, um, I can look at their accuracy data, their latency, how quickly they're completing tasks, how frequently they practiced. Um, and a lot of my patients, they practiced every day <laughs> because again, it goes back to like that access thing. Patients just, I, I can't be with every patient every day, all day long, I, you know, nor would they want me there. I think that much, but, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it, it's a matter of getting the therapy into the patient's hands. So when a patient sits down to do constant therapy, they just open up the application, the program on any of their tablet. Uh, we work on tablets and mobile phones for Apple, Android, and uh, Amazon Fire. 
the patient just sits down, all they have to do is hit the start button and they just go through the therapy that, you know, I either I as the clinician have laid out for the patient or the other great thing is for those patients who don't have access to a speech pathologist anymore. The application actually has some really cool intelligence on the back end called the neuroperformance engine, and it will adjust the difficulty level based on how well the patient's doing. So if they're doing really well, it'll give them something harder. If they're having a hard time, it'll give them something easier. Um, and that's something that patients can have turned on or turned off, um, even if they're with a clinician too. So honestly, I have the app do a lot of the updates for me because I'm not checking constantly. So we usually find that patients do about 30 minutes at a time of therapy. And we have found, you know, the other cool thing about the app is it gives us this huge repository of data, which we're able to then look at in collaboration with Boston University and say, okay, what conclusions can we draw from this data? Because this is a lot more data than a traditional speech and language um, research project would usually have. Usually for that, you're looking at like maybe 30 patients in a big study. Um, for this, we're able to really go through and clean the data and look at thousands of patients at once. Um, and, you know, we have that anonymized, de-identified data. So it's not that we're looking at patient, you know, individual patients. It's, it's that group population level analysis that we can do. And so what we found is that about four to five days a week of about 30 minutes is kind of that sweet spot where you see patients making the maximal amount of improvement over time within the app. So it's it's great to see the the power of big data too that comes out of this. That's that was probably great. more than you really bargained for in asking that question. No, I, sorry. I, I, I have I a like quick follow up question. That's really interesting because I'm I'm comparing it. I'm trying to compare, like to have those insights is great as a clinician. I'm sure like it, it's wonderful for you to be able to see because um, on the rehab side, um, I'm trying to compare and say is as they progress, so you, you mentioned about a 30 minute window, do they, does the volume or the intensity increase as you start to see improvements or the pace of maybe the, the, the questions or the, the, I don't know, how, I don't know the, 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 the best say it, but I'm just trying to compare it to a physical rehab session to a brain training session and how does that um, how does that change over time, or does it? That's a great question. So usually, you know, for one thing, the interesting thing is that each patient is a little bit different, right? Because what may take one patient five seconds to do is going to take another patient five minutes to do. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as a clinician, I'm always kind of tweaking the assignments, um, and the app will work to do that too to tweak how much it gives a patient at a time. But where, you know, physical therapy might increase the number of reps over time, or maybe the weight and the, you know, of, I'm just, the, this yeah. is a terrible yeah. analogy. Reps and sets. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in, in our app, what we'll end up doing is increasing the difficulty level. So instead of saying, okay, I'm just going to ask you to identify a word that you heard. Now let's bump up that difficulty level a bit. Now I'm going to ask you to tell me about a sentence. Now I'm going to ask you to tell me about a longer paragraph. Like one of our hardest tasks is making inferences from voicemails. And we actually got a whole, everybody in the company recorded the voicemails because we really try and make everything functional in the app. Um, so there are a bunch of different voices in there because that's something you have to practice with a voicemail. You never know who's going to call and leave you a voicemail with their cell phone cutting in and out. Um, so we built that into the app. So it's really a matter of not necessarily increasing reps, but it, it's increasing that challenge level. Yeah. So when you, like your role specifically, right? So you have, there's an interesting, in the last, what, let's take it, to say like five, six years, like there's been an interest, growing interest in like digital therapeutics, digital health to, to come in, right? And we, David and I were fortunate, we, and I think you're connected in as well to folks that run the Rehab Tech Summit. So it's like, it's trying to, yeah, Lauren Sheehan and some of those folks. So it's an interesting play. And we have a lot of clinicians who listen to us, to our podcast as well. And what we always like to try to touch on is like, making that transition, right? So it seems like you've done a really interesting, you know, play within still having clinical practice, but like working within this digital therapeutic product as well. Um, so from a speech and language therapist perspective, like how does someone go about, you know, kind of getting some of that, whether it's experience or, or kind of confidence to go into a therapeutic company that might be in this space? or constant therapy, for instance, if you're, if you're hired. That's a great question. So, you know, I, 
for me, what I ended up doing was um, I was living down in Baltimore and working um, for an arm of Johns Hopkins and they actually offered tuition reimbursement. So I said, okay, why not? I'll go back to school part-time. <laughs> what was I thinking? So I did my MBA in healthcare um, administration at Hopkins and it was a great opportunity for me to get to connect and network with a lot of people there. I had already had kind of the background and the connection to constant therapy from the BU aphasia lab. Um, but I think that's a great way to get back into, you know, expanding what you're looking at is, you know, what, what other educational programs can you do? Maybe not like a whole M- MBA, but like the, just, just other opportunities out there to network and meet people. Um, Cause I think that's always, you know, that's, that's how these roles come up, right. As you, you happen to talk to the right person who happened to be looking for something and, and one thing led to another, and then there y'all are. So I, I think that networking piece is huge. The other thing too, is, you know, I think with digital therapy, growing and changing over time. I think also just being open-minded and creative about how you do therapy um, and being open-minded and creative about who you're talking to. Because I think some of the things that we've all taken for granted is the way things work are changing um, and they should. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge tech nerd at heart. So I think to me, everything about tech is exciting and everything could somehow connect to technology. But, you know, I, over time, I think we're going to see more and more of how are we going to harness technology and use it to power everything that we do. Um, And there's no reason that rehabilitation science shouldn't be right on on that bandwagon. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, chime in here. Have you, with that said, uh, you know, we were kind of running in the same circles on the, on the tech side and, um, but have you seen, have you seen a change in some of the clinicians, um, behaviors change uh, like maybe if you look at the window before the pandemic and now hopefully as we're coming out like were were clinicians seeking you and your 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 team services out when the barrier to being in person was real or still to some degree like can you talk a little bit about that as 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 uh, as sort of telehealth the, the adoption of digital Absolutely. Well, and you said the magic telehealth word. So that's that's all that's an interesting situation that speech pathology is in right now because we were given kind of a temporary wave on the fact that Medicare did not allow telehealth for speech therapy. That's still in flux to see where that goes long term. But I will say I think the pandemic forced so many people's hands, right? It forced our patients' hands. A lot of our patients we're finding are much more comfortable with technology now because they wanted to talk to their grandkids. They wanted to talk to their loved ones and they had to get on technology to do that over Mm -hmm. Zoom. Um, So, you know, I think both the patients that we see at Constant Therapy and the patients that I see in my practice are, they're just a lot more comfortable with it, which is, you know, a silver lining of of this Mm -hmm. crazy couple of years we've had here. Um, But the other thing too, that I've been really impressed with is clinicians absolutely have been reaching out and looking creatively for ways to, you know, extend their reach. And I think Custom therapy is definitely something um, that has helped clinicians to do that because you think about, you know, I can have my normal teletherapy session, um, but at the end of my sessions, often I'll give homework. And if I'm, if I'm a clinician who was used to running off a Xerox copy out of the, you know, workbook for aphasia, (laughs) I can't do that anymore. Right. So I have to either email the patient a PDF, hope they have a printer. Maybe they'll do it on the computer. Maybe they know how to check their email. Maybe they don't. Or I can set them up with constant therapy. And now not only am I sure that they're going to get that actual home exercise program, but I can also see what they're doing in real time. Um, So for me to be able to track that progress, that's been huge personally for me over teletherapy, but also I know for all of our clinicians that that's just really, it's helpful. Um, And, you know, we, we also have a lot of really helpful reports that are built into the app. Um, so that clinicians can take that data and use it for their documentation. Um, so, you know, have, having all of that flexibility is really nice from a digital perspective. Um, and I th- it's been great to see clinicians really jump on board and, and get creative and figure it out. And I think that's what we all had to do at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, I had my document camera here, <laughs> you know, with figure, you know, mm-hmm. just got creative. Humans are resilient. <laughs> and, uh, do you see it now, like, you know, you speak to like this clinician group, which obviously is one of the larger entry points to like getting this in a, in a patient's hands, right? Like, unless you have, you know, a savvy caregiver or someone or a savvy patient enough to be kind of doing the research to find a therapeutic like this. 
Um, do you see more success in like, or a barrier coming from like the larger hospital systems? You know, is it hard for you do they require like integration with the HR systems and things like that, that make things complex. And like, so it's actually been a really interesting time to be a part of the company because we're really working, you know, I, so much of our company is very tech focused. So they're really on top of that tech piece that I would never, we, we have a chief information officer who's our chief security officer who Thank goodness for Bill, because I don't know how to answer these <laughs> questions that these big institutions have. And, it, you know, it's great to have that expertise on hand to be able to figure out, you know, what do we need to do? We we already were HIPAA compliant before the pandemic, but now with the push for more and more digital therapy offerings from these big institutions, they have big questions and we're not a big company, but we need to be ready to answer those big questions about exactly what we do with our data, what legal promises can we make about our security? Um, And so we've really been evolving. We've created a new enterprise offering um, that allows those big healthcare institutions to be able to use us knowing exactly how we do our data um, and how we keep it safe. And we do. Um, And, you know, offering things like session timeout, multi-factor authentication, things Mm -hmm. that, you know, when we were really focusing more on patients, we were trying to do the opposite of that, right? Because we don't want our patients to get locked out of their account. But now we need to offer those security things yeah. to, to make sure that these big institutions feel comfortable. Um, and so we, we have been successfully doing that with a lot of big institutions now. And it's been, it's been great to see that transition and growth in the company to make sure that we're keeping people safe and keeping their data safe. It's amazing. Uh, when, as you're growing, I think you spoke about like nearly a million users. Um, you know, what's, what's that community like? Do you get to speak with patients often or, you know, are you, you guys kind of, I know a big thing about this, this therapeutics kind of bringing the people together and kind of creating that sense of community. What are you, what are you guys doing in that under those lines? Oh, great question. So two things I'll mention for that. Uh, one, we have this really great online uh, knowledge center called Brainwire. Um, and we've been working on that for many years now. And we've got this great collection of different um, blog posts. And, you know, we have patients write some of the blogs, we interview patients, we interview caregivers, we interview, interview um, clinicians. And, uh, you know, we continuously are posting new and interesting information for patients on there. And it's not just about constant therapy, you know, it's about, you know, what, oh gosh, what was one we did recently? We just, oh, ironically, right before you guys reached out to me, we just posted one about a podcast to listen to. So we're going to have to add you guys. (laughs) Um, But the, you know, just have fun things like that um, to make sure that patients, and we send those out via email every week. Um, And so that's one way that we interact with our patients, but really the best way to interact with patients is our customer support line. And we actually offer live customer support to anyone who would like to call. Um, and our customer support specialists are phenomenal. They are super patient. Um, you know, I've worked with them and trained them specifically on how to help patients who have cognitive and communication disorders on the phone, um, which is something that we started doing really early on. Um, and it was actually, it was the, the phone that would ring was Vera's cell phone, (laughs) one of the founders of the company. Um, and all of us at, at the beginning took turns answering the customer support lines and, you know, I helped. John from Alaska set up his Wi-Fi, and you know it, it's it's just a great experience to get to interact with patients like that. Um, and so we we have those customer support team members there ready to answer those questions anytime, and we get a lot of that feedback from patients that way, and from clinicians, and we're then able to implement it in the app. Um, and, and let me tell you, we have some patients who were you know previously computer programmers, and they have given us such great suggestions over the years that. It's just, it's a very fun community to be a part of. Um, And we do stay really closely connected. You know, I um, often present at patient support groups for aphasia support groups, um, just to let them know about constant therapy and kind of to get a feel for for our users. And and they also share great feedback with us. So it's it's a great way to stay in touch with, with the patient population. Perfect. So you, um, you mentioned something. So you talked a little bit about the, the AI behind that and the, the neural performance engine and the technology. You also, from, from reading a little bit more on your website, you also had something pretty significant in that you were, were granted um, FDA breakthrough device designation. Now you're, you're actually, because Mike and I are on the cutting edge, right, Mike? You are, you're oh, actually our third, you're our third company to receive that. 
Am I correct? Mike, we had med rhythms, med rhythms, number one. Um, BCI technology with neurolution. Oh. Yeah. Right? Or they uh, might be yeah. waiting for, and if they might correct they, me yeah, if they're yeah. listening, um, <laughs> along with our other millions of listeners. But can you talk a little bit more about that, Jordan? Because that's 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 really interesting. Absolutely. So we have FDA breakthrough designation status for the stroke indication. Um, so really what that means is, you know, the FDA sees great promise and we are, you know, working collaboratively with them to work towards full FDA approval for patients who have had a stroke using constant therapy. Um, and one of the really exciting things that kind of underpinned that FDA um, breakthrough status was we completed a pretty large endeavor of a study. It was the first study that was ever done completely virtually that we know of. <laughs> um, and we've looked um, with patients with, with, aphasia. with aphasia. And so, yeah. yeah. Yep. So we had 32 patients who had aphasia. Uh, we did everything over Zoom. This was actually right before the pandemic, ironically. Um, and we split those patients into two groups, one group that did constant therapy and one group that did kind of more traditional workbook sheets um, that are speech and language workbook sheets. And so we then, you know, everybody got check-ins every two, two weeks um, and it, we did treatment for 10 weeks. And at the beginning and at the end, we gave an assessment battery just to look at, you know, how these patients were performing before and after. Um, and we can, it was a randomized control trial. So, you know, really great science there. And what we saw was really phenomenal results for those patients in the constant therapy group. So not only did they make statistically significantly more progress on the Western aphasia battery, um, which the aphasia quotient, which is kind of a level of how severe your aphasia is overall. Um, and they made that huge gain relative to the group that was just doing the workbook sheets. Um, and in addition to that, it was also clinically significant. So our group out of BU had done a study a while back kind of looking at the Western aphasia battery and saying, okay, what, what's the magic number of points of improvement on the aphasia quotient that really translate to, cl to clinical significance to where you're really seeing it in your day-to-day -day life. And that magic number was five. The patients in the experimental group made more than six points of progress. Wow. So not only was it a huge amount of improvement relative to the workbook group, which made less than one point of progress, um, but it, it also was just a really cool demonstration to us that these patients can participate in a virtual trial, which is huge because our recruitment for the trial went so much faster than what a gun in person. Um, and it, you know, set us up for, for really good success, even throughout the pandemic. And was that by intention and design that it was set to be an RCT or did it happen as a result of the pandemic it was originally designed that way? So it was a RCT originally designed and it was originally designed to be virtual because we wanted to make sure that it was accessible to as many wow. people as possible. And then it happened to be the pandemic right afterwards. And then we all went off to our homes and offices and <laughs> two and a half years later, we haven't gone back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, can, can you give us a little inside look, like maybe what's next for constant therapy? What are you guys thinking about? You know, what's next, next evolution? Yeah. So there are a couple of things we're really excited about. One is continuing to, you know, get our um, enterprise product out there to as many people as possible. You know, that's something we're really excited about because we want to see this in the hands of as many patients as possible. So our big push is looking and thinking creatively about other ways that we can get constant therapy covered for our patient population. Um, and one thing that's super cool is that the VA actually provides constant therapy to their veterans at no cost to the veteran. Um, so we work with a number of VAs across the country to have that set up for them. Um, and we've also continued to push the envelope in terms of how else we can get constant therapy reimbursed, whether it's through, you know, um, different waiver programs in different states, whether it's through Medicare Advantage programs, whether it's through HSAs for more traditional commercial insurance programs. Um, and, you know, we're always looking for that. And actually, we're really excited that um, the that President Biden's administration just put out the free Wi-Fi program that they did. Um which is really great news because our app does need Wi-Fi to run, but there's also a component of that that helps to cover devices for patients too. Um, so really just continuing to push the envelope on how do we get this reimbursed in a way where it's not falling to the patients to pay for it. That's one big thing. Um, and then the other thing that is my personal thing that I am very excited about is that we are coming out with a Spanish version of constant therapy later sure. this year. Um, so we're really starting to push that localization effort of saying, you know, we know constant therapy is needed 
Um, in other languages, let's make it happen. So we've been working very carefully with clinical experts who are fluent in Spanish <laughs> to make sure that we're doing this mindfully um, and doing it in a way where we can really expand this to other languages as well. That's super interesting. And it's such a big play, you know, when you think about, you know, we were speaking about security before as a big topic, right, for, you know, the application, but then accessibility, right? And when, when, you know, you open that lens, it's, you know, and it's not easy, you know, for a, for a company your size to kind of tick those boxes, but you're right, getting it out there. And, and I'm glad that's your passion project because that's <laughs> certainly needed. But uh, so before we, I, I wrap up with, with a, a question, on every episode that, that David hands over to me, but I'm going to let David kind of ask any questions before that. And then we'll jump into the final question of the evening. Um, I'd like you to give a, we've talked a lot about constant therapy and I want to make sure um, we let folks that maybe in your neck of literally the woods in Lenox, right? Um, talk a little bit about your private practice and then Mike, I'll hand over. We upped our game. I actually have, oh, I actually it. found this cleaning out the basement from when my kids were little. So this is our, we'll get to the surprise magic wand, but give us a, you know, tell us a little bit more about where you are in, in your practice. And, and, and we know how we'll have these in the show notes too, but um, give yourself a shout here too. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, so um, at my private practice here in Lenox, which definitely is in the woods, um, <laughs> I provide speech and language therapy um, along with another clinician who works with me to patients across the lifespan. So we work with you know children who are working on learning to talk and clarifying their speech. Um, we work with kids who have feeding disorders. I like to say that speech pathology is everything from the neck up. <laughs> so we also do feeding and swallowing. Um, so we also have a couple of voice patients. Um, it, you know, we really kind of run the gamut. And in addition to that, we offer assistive technology consulting because um, that's kind of my other area of interest and expertise is, is that assistive technology piece. And we do a lot with augmentative and alternative communication, AAC, um, which is basically, you know, constant therapy is more the therapy of how do we improve your speech and language skills and cognitive skills. AAC is how can we compensate for you right now mm -hmm. and help you to communicate in a way that's functional for you? Um, so we really believe in that total communication approach. I don't care if you're using sign or verbalizations or a device or writing. Um, we just want to make sure that people are able to communicate just because it's a human right that people should be able to communicate their thoughts and needs. So that's, that's the practice. Um, in the beautiful backdrop of the thank you for sharing that and 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 kudos to you that that's that's great that you're 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 covering the spectrum and that's that that's fantastic so mike because we want to let jordan be able to go home before the day turns to night there behind <laughs> you on this backdrop and we do we do cast this over on youtube too for our <laughs> other many listeners so they get to take that in but i'm going to hand you over the for our podcast list, you won't see the, Just the high end uh, <laughs> magic wand. Go ahead, Mike. Thanks, David. Um, so yeah, Jordan, it's been a pleasure. Um, and we, we usually like wrapping up the podcast with asking every guest our magic wand question, right? So if, if we were to hand you a magic wand and you could redesign the stroke care pathway, what would that look like to you? Ah, uh, well, that I had a magic wand. Um, and thank you guys for having me. It's really been a pleasure. So the, the one thing that I would design, I think I would want to make sure that patients and their caregivers had like a personal guide to walk them through the stroke recovery process, because it is so hard and complicated to know what do you want? What do you need? Who can give it to you? Where can you find it? I mean, I, I can't even imagine if, if it were someone who, who didn't have the background, you know, that I had, if, if a loved one had a stroke, I don't even know where you would begin. Right. You know, we, our, our healthcare system is, is very, is often disjointed. And I think it's tough to find exactly what you need. And, you know, those resources shouldn't just be, you know, a annual checkup with your neurologist. It should be the physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, the mental health therapy. There's actually, I, I'll get my own little plug in here for a favorite group of mine. Stroke Onward is an awesome group um, who are, oh, I see David applauding, mm -hmm. um, who are really helping to bring awareness to the mental health side of recovering um, and you know living with 
a stroke and how do you redefine your identity after that? And I think it's something we don't talk about enough. And I would love to have more um, mental health professionals who are specialized in that. Um, and gosh, I love collaborating with mental health therapists. They're incredible resources. Um, but I think having that, that guide of a person or a system to, to walk you through ask, knowing what questions to ask and, and what supports are out there. I think that's, that would be my magic wand. It's a nice answer. Care navigation. And you see it in oncology. I've been there some, mm-hmm. you know, some folks doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think we gotta, we gotta do that with stroke, stroke rehab as well. Great, great answer and true spot on. And, you know, what we try to do on this show is do that in our small little way is just expose the audience to organizations that you are part of too, and mentions and, and, that way it just creates, whether it be for the caregiver, finding out through someone that's in a support group said, Hey, you know, I heard you talking about this. There's a technology for that. Um, and it, it's it, like Mike said, we're, we're, we're a little bit more coordinated in other areas. And that's something that hopefully um, be able to change in the, in the not too distant future. So Thank you so much for your time with us this evening. It was just so great to meet you. Um, oh, likewise to both of you. This has been wonderful. And um, so tell the listeners, actually, when we jumped on, our, how easy it was for, for you to know, not mix up our names this evening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So my husband's name is Mike. His brother's name is David. So it was very easy for me to continuously say Mike and David throughout this podcast. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> nice, nice. And just before you head off, you know, if folks are interested in learning more about your private practice or constant therapy, um, what's the best place for them to reach out to you and have a conversation? Absolutely. So definitely check out our website at constanttherapy.com. That's an easy one. And my private practice website is piercespeech.com. Uh, so straightforward Super. and simple. And and again, with constant therapy, you know, I really I can't say it enough don't hesitate to call the customer support line. They are absolutely ready to help and they're super patient and helpful and kind and just lovely. Madison, Tiffany, Taryn, and Melissa are the four who answer the phone. So it's a real person who will answer and they will help. (laughs) Perfect. With that said, we're going to sign off for the No Stroke podcast and our special guest this evening, Jordan. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you, Mike and David. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke recovery in the brain with tips, technology, and interesting Stroke Thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. Please check the show notes to follow us on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.